to everyone, and especially if you're a guest today. We are happy to have you with us on this wonderful Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all of our wonderful fathers today. Amen. And um, as is sort of become our custom, I guess, we are going to pray for our fathers, but we're going to do that um, at the end. Amen. If you're watching us online, we welcome you this morning. If someone could come uh, take care of that, uh, we welcome you wherever you may be watching us from today. Amen. This is going to be, uh, well, first of all, let me preface with this. This is one of those uh, messages that I don't really like to preach, not because it's mean or unkind or whatever, but we all are, we, 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 we are not all in the same circumstances. Neither did we all come from the same circumstances. And so I, I, I want you to know that I, I am mindful of that, and I'm mindful of the fact that, as my wife uh, talked about earlier, uh, some of us struggle with our perception of God because of the earthly father that we had. And, and so I, I, I understand all that. But then there's another side to this for me, and that is while I don't want to cause any grief or turmoil for some of you because of past or present circumstances, neither do I want to miss the opportunity to challenge those that have the opportunity to make decisions now that will positively affect their future. So there is no intent to lump everybody in the same category. And, and to a degree, this message this morning is, may not necessarily apply to some of you. I think you can all perhaps take something away from it if you will have open ears and open hearts. Uh, but I, I just uh, this, this, is, this has been on my heart and um, uh, not only kind of the... I guess the format, that, um, but also even a little bit of what I'm going to share with you, um, especially after a couple of things Bishop said on Friday night, uh, of all the mornings to do this, it's right after that. But I'm going to ask my family, uh, Nathaniel is out of town, but I'm going to ask the rest of my family to join me um, this morning and... Um, I'm going to start with reading several verses to you. And as Angie said, this is our table. This is not a random prop. This is my spot. That's Timothy's spot. That is not Angie's spot. Her spot is usually right here. But I figured you didn't want to see her back of her head the whole time. And I figured she didn't want you staring at the back of her head the whole time. So the, the setup is a little bit different, but otherwise it's, it's pretty close. That is, Timothy is the other one that is in his spot. Even if there's only a few of us eating, that's his spot way down at the end of the table. 
Second Samuel 9, I'm going to read a number of verses. It's a good thing they're all used to being on the platform, right? So they're, they don't feel awkward sitting here at this table not knowing what to do. Oops. If you're a guest today, this is absolutely definitely not the norm in all kinds of ways. So come back next week or go watch something that's archived online and you'll get, um, you'll get, I'm not ignoring all you wonderful folks over there, but just anyway. Second Samuel 9, verse number 1 says this, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. The king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant, And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself, and he said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto... Thy master's son, all that pertain to Saul and to all his house, therefore, and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. Now watch this. He's saying, I'm going to restore to you what was your grandfather's and your father's. Then I'm going to provide you. I mean, what good is all kinds of land if you are uh, lame on your feet and unable to take care of it? So then he goes another step and he says, I'm going to provide you all of the, the, the servants that you need to take care of your land. But after all of that, now watch what he says. But Mephibosheth, who all of this is for, <laughs> my master's son shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and was lame on both his feet. Several other translations say that last verse this way, that he ate all his meals at the king's table. He ate all his meals at the king's table. The easy-to-read version says it this way, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem 
He was crippled in both feet. And every day, somebody say every day, he ate at the king's table. I know I have said and preached and will continue to say it, we should not categorize or compartmentalize our lives into the natural and the spiritual. I know this is all odd, but an amen is still okay every now and then. We should not segment our lives off into various compartments. We have our spiritual life, but then we have our natural life. And God controls the spiritual and we control the natural. They should all be one. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. So after all of that rant, if you would permit me this morning in the context of this message and this day to say this, I I, want to tell you from a natural perspective, and I don't mean that in the sense of separating my life into the natural and the spiritual, but from a natural perspective, and I have debated exactly the way to say this, because when you say something is one of the most important things to you, uh, that leaves room, (laughs) that leaves room, first of all, in case there's something else that is actually more important you haven't locked yourself in the, you know, cornered yourself in. And so I, but I'm going to go ahead and say it this way at the risk that maybe I might be missing something. But this right here is the most important place in my life. Not that pulpit. Not this platform. I cherish and value this place at home. (laughs) Not in front of all you staring at us. (laughs) I value and cherish this spot above anything else in my life. I'm not here today to try to set myself up as your model or challenge you to be like me, but I am here to challenge you today. And again, as I have already said, especially to those that you've got the opportunity to change your future, whether you're already married or for you single guys that are yet to be married, you can make up your mind in advance that you are not simply going to be a continuation of the past that you knew. There's a couple of families, and I won't call their names because it wouldn't be right for several different reasons, but there's a couple of families in this room today, there's probably a lot, but there's a couple that come to mind off the top of my head that are doing an absolute amazing job at creating a different environment in their home than what they were raised with. People who were raised in a very dysfunctional situation, in fact, I'll say it this way as well, people that were raised in what was supposed to be a Christian home but was a dysfunctional Christian home who are not living bitter and resentful of that, but they are living intentional. That their future is not simply going to be a repeat of their past. And in the context of what I just read to you, after everything, I mean, if David would have simply given land back to Mephibosheth, that would have been enough to honor him. Even if he didn't provide the servants, 
By the way, I don't know how in the world I forgot to do this. Sister Tyler. Sister Linda Tyler is her first service back with us today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Those of you that don't understand that, she was one of our precious sisters that spent weeks in the hospital with COVID, and God brought her through that, and now today is her first day to be back with us, and we are so excited to have her. This mine or yours? We've only got one more in our trinity to go. Y'all better get ready because the day that Sister Horton, Sister Tyler, and Sister Gross are all in the same service, we are going to have a celebration. But we're celebrating each one of them as they come. Amen. Praise God. After everything he did, if he had just given him land back and given him servants, that would have been enough. What a great honor. But the greatest honor he bestowed on Mephibosheth was not the giving back of land. It wasn't the providing of servants to take care of the land. It was giving him a seat at his table continually. Mark chapter 14, this is the beginning of the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and what we know and call the Last Supper. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, Mark 14 and verse 12. It says this, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples ask him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal? For you. Where do you want us to go? I think you could presume that Jesus' response to those disciples could have been, I don't really care. Wherever you get, that's fine. I mean, we're talking about God here. We're talking about God in the flesh. I mean, don't you think God has bigger things on His mind than the place they're going to have Passover? Don't you think He's got bigger things to worry about than where He's going to share Passover with His disciples? But watch the response. He didn't just simply reply and say, I don't care, you figure it out. Not only did he not respond that way, it is amazing how he did respond. So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters... Say to the owner, the teacher asks, 
Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room. Look at the last part of that. Or in the King James, look at the way it says it, sorry. He will show you a room furnished and prepared. And the Lou Living Translation says it this way. He will show you a room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. Of all the things, and I understand there's great spiritual significance, and you read the story, you read what took place, you read what was said, I I realize it was all of great significance. But of all the things they could have done, of all the places they could have gone, as Jesus is about to embark on these next several days, as, as His life's time on this earth is culminating, or coming to the climax of the purpose for which He came, the thing that they decided to do was share a meal. Again, I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. I I know there are people in this room right now, you are single, you you live alone. And I, I respect that, I am honestly mindful of that. But as I've already said, I'm not going to miss the opportunity or the feeling that I have to challenge those that are not by themselves and again, that do have the opportunity to make a difference in their homes and their families. He says, I, I, I want you to, this wasn't some, this wasn't some, you know, uh, miraculous thing. This wasn't some, uh, you know, I, he, we kind of find something similar when, when Jesus is preparing for the triumphal entry, he tells them, you know, go look, you're going to find this donkey that's, that's tied up and this donkey's never been ridden before and tell that person the master has need of him. You, you, I can kind of get that planning for the triumphal entry. But in order for Jesus and his disciples to share a moment before all of this drama, if you will, is about to unfold, the thing that he goes out of his way to make sure is in order is that they have a place to sit down together and connect with one another as they are about to go into what's going to be this very challenging time. It's, it's just the verses right after this that the, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and immediately after that when uh, uh, Judas comes with the, with the soldiers to take Jesus away. The final moments before all of that was them sitting and sharing together. The word intimate, I think in today's society, we have essentially come to use it only in terms of sexual things. But there's way more, way more to the word intimate than just sexual activity. If I could say this to you today, the one of the, I'm going to go ahead and leave a little bit of an out on this one. But one of the most intimate things we ever do is the sharing of a meal. 
Man, I was way more comfortable last week preaching about the seed. <laughs> Y'all made me feel a whole lot better last week. I know this is not a dance and shout and run the aisles, but the word intimate, according to Webster's, simply means marked by a warm friendship developing through long association. The thing I was referring to earlier with regards to what Bishop said Friday night, I, I'm going to read several things in the course of the next little bit here. Some things I found online, they're not even religious references. But unfortunately, I think sometimes we reach a point, if we're not careful, the Bible is not enough. That should never be the case, but I think sometimes we get there. And unfortunately for some of us, we are more apt to listen to what some kind of secular person would say than even what the Word of God would say. So that's a little bit, not the only, but that's a little bit of the context. And first thing I want to share with you, this title of this article is The Importance of Family Mealtime. It says this, For many, family mealtime has been lost in our overscheduled lives. For many families, school, work, schedules, and extracurricular activities can make it difficult to find time to eat together, and some go days or weeks without sitting down as a family to share a meal. However, family meals are important and should be considered part of our daily requirements. And a good percentage of you probably just started arguing with me That is impossible for me. You have no idea of the schedule that I have. But part of the reason your schedule is the way it is is because the lack of prioritizing the things that are most important. I saw an illustration one time that was so powerful. Some of you may have seen it. It was a large glass vase, very large glass vase. And the speaker took a bunch of large rocks and put them in that vase until the point those rocks were up to the top. And he asks the audience, is the vase full? And of course the response is, yes. And then he goes and takes some, some smaller rocks and begins to pour them in until the point where it now looks as if The entire vase is full, and he asks again, is it full? And of course, the response again is yes. There may have been a couple of other things, but if I remember correctly what he did, the final thing was he took a bag of sand. And then into what appeared to be an empty, or excuse me, what appeared to be a full vase, he then poured this bag of sand. Because something is going to fill up all of your time. And the big rocks are going to get it first. And then the smaller rocks are going to get it next. And then the sand is going to get it last. It is a sad thing when our homes become the sand and not the big rocks. What's funny is some of y'all are good with 
the preaching last week, but you don't want to hear this. Because hearing this means you've got to make some changes in your life. I don't think I have to say it to those of you that have been around here. If you're a guest today, I will say this to you. One of the biggest passions that my wife and I have is the family. And it is not the will of God for people to be saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, living in dysfunction. I don't know how long I'll be able to sit here. <laughs> it's not the will of God for saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled spouses to be ships passing in the night. Families passing in the night. If you're too busy for your family, you are too busy. I know, we're, Brother Wright, we're in a different day and time. Yeah, we are, and because we've let ourselves get in a different day and time. I learned something a long time ago. People have money and time for what they want to have money and time for. When we had a school years ago, we'd have people come in and say, I'm really sorry, I can't pay my tuition. We just don't have the money, and next thing you know, you'd watch them on Sunday come driving up in a brand new car. Or they tell you, I don't have money for tuition, and you go out and see them walking into a nice restaurant to eat dinner. You got money. You just determine what you have it for. And time is even more so that way. I just don't have time for church. I just don't have time for ministry. Why don't you have time for church and ministry? Because you're so busy with things that are temporal. You've let some big rocks. I was telling somebody the other day, some of you here, many of you here can remember the day when the mall was closed on Sundays. And then the next step was, I think they were open from like 12 to 6. And if I'm not mistaken now, they pretty much have reached the point where they've got normal hours on Sunday. Maybe a little less, I don't know. Years ago, there was a time in which there was no such thing as Little League sports on a Sunday. Because even just in our society, even if you didn't go to church, people viewed it as that day that belonged to God. Now... Little League sports and teenage sports is Sundays, Saturdays, the whole weekend. One of the reasons, to me, this spot is one of the most important places is because of the memories that are built. Those of you that know me know that I'm not a very talkative person. If the only thing you know of me is the pulpit, that is a very wrong perception. My wife has said many times that she enjoys hearing me preach, 
because she learns more about me when I preach than the rest of the week. So for those of you fathers and husbands that you're not the talkative type, what I'm challenging with you with today has nothing to do with your personality. I would venture to say you're all welcome to chime in, affirm or deny. I would venture to say it's not uncommon. I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. But it's not uncommon to go through an entire meal where I basically say nothing. There's plenty of conversation going on, I promise you. And it's not because I can't get a word in. It's just, I just enjoy being there. I also, at least from my perspective, I'm usually the last one to leave the table. Not because I'm still eating. (laughs) I'm usually the last one to leave the table because as long as there's somebody at that table still, I am soaking up the moment. Was it 2018, Esther, when you went to I know, there's a bunch, I, I look at the Johnsons, and they're, they got the empty nest, and there's Mallory's, and I know a bunch of you got empty nests, so just, just, just humor me for a moment. I recognized then, when Esther made the decision, felt like she was supposed to go to Bible college in California, that the six of us at the table was going to become the exception and not the rule. And for the most part since then, that's been the case. It's kind of funny sometimes because the dynamics of who ends up at the table now is very different. Usually it's only about four of us. Others, Timothy being off at Bible college, others having other things going on. So part of the reason I'm still there at the very end is I know these moments. However, I don't mind there will be a day when it's just the two of us left looking at each other. We may not have this, well, we will have this big of a table for when everybody comes. But I think one of my first memories, I don't have a lot that are stand out specifically more so it's the general idea but one of them actually it was only these three at the time Nathaniel hadn't been born I think Esther was just about three or four maybe I don't remember what she was doing but she was doing something at the table that was very funny and all of us were laughing Except it started getting to the point, while it was still funny, it was time to stop. And while laughing, I started to tell her to stop. And continued laughing, trying to tell her to stop. I am assuming the laughter was overriding the instruction because she continued. And so my final instruction was, 
I will spank you while I'm laughing. Stop. And I think she did. We've got a video, our last house. I won't tell you what it was, and I won't show it. But of a viral video, many of you would know it if I referenced it, that Timothy, who was probably 13 or 14 at the time, was word for word imitating that video. It may be laughter, it may be serious, doesn't really matter. The significance of this in your life and your family should be one of the top priorities. I say one of the because really the only thing I can think of that should be a greater priority than your family is God. And as I have said many times, I will say it again today, God and ministry are not one in the same. I believe our priorities should be God, family, ministry. That doesn't mean there aren't times when God requires us to do things that family may have to be bumped to the side for a little bit. But that's not, you don't live sacrificing your family continually for the kingdom. Oh, hallelujah. I I wish I could still get an amen here and there. I know this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but I'll quote it the first way. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I'm going to tell you today, if I, could, if I had the opportunity and the offer that all of Anne Arundel County would be saved and somehow most of Anne Arundel County be connected to this congregation and any one of my four kids be lost, you can have it. You may not like that. You may not even agree with that. I didn't bring the rest of Anne Arundel County into this world. I wasn't responsible for them being alive, but I was directly responsible for the three at this table and the other one that's out of town. And that's why, for me, it's not God, then you. It's God and then them. Permit me to read a little more. The title of this article is The Dinner Table is a Place of Connection, Brokenness, and Blessing. And this is only a portion of the whole article. The table as a place of connection. Tables are one of the most important places of human connection. We're often most fully alive to life when sharing a meal around a table. We shouldn't be surprised then to find that throughout the Bible, God has a way of showing up at tables. In fact, it's worth noting that at the center of the spiritual lives of God's people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we find a table. 
The table of Passover and the table of communion, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright captured something of this sentiment when he wrote, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. Brother Wright, I just don't know if I agree with this today, and I can't believe you're taking up my whole Sunday morning to talk about eating dinner with my family or those that I live with. If that's your attitude by chance and that's the way you feel, I feel very sadly for you and for your family. Well, that's just you. That's just what worked for you. You're right, it is working. One of the things that troubles me and scares me the most is when I see preachers whose families have gone off a completely different direction, some of which have completely rejected God altogether. No, I can't. And it's a, again, many of you have been there. Wow, what an, what from a natural standpoint, yeah, trust God, God's peace, etc., etc. But from a natural standpoint, one of the most scary one of the scariest things i've ever faced in life is beginning to see these kids exercise their own freedom and independence beginning to have to see whether or not i've done my job but also trusting at the end of the day just because you do everything right doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect kids. I'm convinced, I read on, I'm convinced that one of the most important spiritual disciplines for us to recover in the kind of world in which we live is the discipline of table fellowship. And I know I'm focusing here this morning primarily on the context of your household. But the bottom line is, go to the book of Acts. And what was it? What was one of the common things that the church, the New Testament church, in its beginning stages did? They shared the breaking of bread uh, from house to house. And the Bible says they did that daily. The only time you ever, by chance, invite people that are not a part of your family into your home to share a meal with you is a holiday. You're missing out on a very important opportunity. Again, I'll try to make this the last time I'm saying this. I realize for some of you, the logistics and the dynamics of this just really are pretty much impossible. I get that. So please bear with me. But there's really a higher percentage of people in this place that in some form or fashion what I'm saying this morning can be adapted to you. If you live on your own or if you live with other roommates, what's stopping you from having some people over to sit around your table and fellowship? Well, I don't cook. You don't need to nowadays. And you don't even have to go pick it up and get it. Just get DoorDash. Again, one of the most spiritual disciplines for us to recover in the kind of world in which we live is the discipline of table fellowship. 
in the fast-paced, tech-saturated, attention-deficit, disordered culture in which we find ourselves, Christians need to recover the art of a slow meal around a table with people we care about. I just don't have time for that. As you hurry off to the couch to watch the latest episode of your favorite show. As you rush off to do your hobby because you need your time. Table fellowship doesn't often make the list of the classical spiritual disciplines. But in the midst of a world that increasingly seems to have lost its way with regard to matters of both food and the soul, Christian spirituality has something important to say about the way that sharing tables nourishes us both physically and spiritually. We need a recovery of the spiritual significance of what we eat, where we eat, and with whom we eat. title of this article is Connected at the Table, the Importance of Family Meals. The benefits go beyond nutrition, too. Eating together can improve parent-child relationship and give kids a sense of stability and connectedness. Children younger than 13 who regularly eat meals with their families exhibit fewer behavioral problems. Well, that ain't true at my table. Let me tell you something. If you flip out on your kid when they knock their glass over and spill something on the table, you are a poor parent. And last Sunday was a lot more fun. <laughs> I've sat and cringed at tables when children completely accidentally make a mess, knock... As, an adult, as a grown married adult, when we would go eat at my mother's house, at my parents' house for holidays, the dining room table that got used basically for holidays had white upholstery. And there was a point for years we'd come to those meals, it wasn't my kids who had a towel put over the white upholstery. It was my chair. Because somehow, without fail, yes, apparently I am now entering into midlife. I'm learning that one of the midlife signs for men is you never leave a meal without it being somewhere on your shirt. To which apparently my family often finds humor in. But I'm in some really good company. <laughs> well, I, I, I think one of the reasons God blessed us with four kids, the first two are 18 months apart, Esther and Timothy are two years apart, Timothy and Nathaniel are two and a half years apart, is so that we would have perspective on what many of you deal with. Although many of you, I'm not sure if you're just trying to follow in our footsteps. The number of families with four kids in this church is kind of odd. (laughs) 
When I say follow me as I follow Christ, that doesn't automatically include have four kids. But I, I, I get it. I get that mealtime, I'm not sitting here telling you that they're, they can be the most relaxing times. But I am telling you they're one of the most valuable times for the health and the well-being of your home. While the fact children younger than 13 regularly eat meals with their families exhibit fewer behavioral problems and mealtime conversations have been tied to improved literacy. You can read a number of articles. I'm not even this article. I'm not even going to get. You can go online and read a number of articles about the variety of natural benefits to your family, to your children by the sharing of mealtime. Forget the biblical spiritual principle. Uh, significance of it. It is a naturally viewed benefit to your household. While the frequency of meals with families tends to dwindle through high school, teens who eat with their families, teens who eat with their families tend to be healthier, happier, and less inclined toward risky behavior. They are less likely to think about suicide, take drugs, or suffer from depression, and more likely to get better grades and delay having sex. Who knew just having dinner together might help keep your kids from getting pregnant too soon. I'm obviously not saying this is the solution to everything, but don't minimize the value of what it does bring. Another article, Seven Unexpected Benefits of Eating Together as a Family According to Science. Eating meals together just might be the ultimate parenting hack. What else can you do in an hour that will improve your kids' academic performances, increase their self-esteem, and reduce their risk of substance abuse, depression, teen pregnancy, and obesity? Over the last two decades, studies after, study after study has shown that simply taking a few minutes each day to turn off screens, <coughs> genuinely connect with each other over food, can improve the physical and mental health of all family members. Out of seven benefits, I will read to you two of them. It can prevent serious, physio- serious psychosocial issues. In other words, according to a 2015 review by a group of Canadian researchers, frequent family dinners can prevent issues with eating disorders, alcohol and substance abuse, violent behavior, depression, and suicidal thoughts in adolescence. Young female study participants were especially likely to reap the benefits of family meals. Another one of the other reasons cited is it can improve children's self-esteem. The security provided by regularly breaking bread as a family can help children feel more confident in themselves. According to experts at Stanford Children's Health, a pediatric health care system affiliated with Stanford Medicine and Stanford University, by encouraging your children to talk about their day and genuinely listening to their responses, you're communicating that, va- that you value and respect who they are. Children should be allowed to choose their own seats and encouraged to assist with chores associated with dinner time, whether setting the table, serving the food, or cleaning up. Last article, title of this one is Eating Together. Christians have always enjoyed sharing a meal because of the rich biblical symbolism. 
because it is a tangible expression of service, love, and unity, and because of the opportunity it affords for true fellowship and genuine community. Practically, sharing a meal nourishes our need to know and be known because it facilitates face-to-face conversation. We've gotten a little bit lax at this at our house. And I said we. But years ago, it was established that no cell phones were supposed to be at the table. I think that's a rule every one of us ought to have in our houses. Whether you got small children, middle-aged children, or if it's just you and your spouse, your phones should not be at the table. The disruption of a text message or a phone call should not interrupt your FaceTime as a family. Oh, hallelujah. I'm preaching real good now. And I know some of you were raised this way, but I'm just going to go on record and tell you the TV shouldn't be on during mealtime. Your dinner shouldn't be had on the couch facing the TV. Well, y'all would love it, I think, if I was preaching, stepping on your toes about some other things than this. Why? Because this is where we live. Yeah. How in the world we've come to the point we can't just sit down and enjoy each other's presence without some form of technology in the picture is a sad thing. And how in the world a family can't sit down and turn a TV off and connect with one another? Well, you don't know my kids. And whose fault is it they're the way they are? Oh, boy. This was not designed to be the latest, greatest babysitter. It is a sad state of affairs, and the restaurant is often the place where I see it. It's a sad state of affairs to walk by a table and see children all locked into an iPad, no clue of what's going on around them. But I just said this to the young adults at our house the other night, and I'll say it here. Don't sit around and get on the young people and the young adults for being on their phones all the time. Because you can also walk through a restaurant and see two grown adults without any children sitting at a table across from each other, heads down on a device, not paying attention to the person that's across from them. You label it however you want to label it. With whatever's going on on your device has got your attention over that person, what you're telling them is you are less important than what's here. our digitally connected world, we share a tremendous amount of information through text, emails, and tweets. However, because of a significant amount of communication is nonverbal, precious little communication actually occurs digitally. Seeing someone's facial expression, hearing the tone of his voice, and looking into his eyes are all vital elements of real 
communicate. Ideally, sharing a meal would put us face to face with real people. But I'm sure you witnessed this scene, people out together at a restaurant, sitting at the same table, interacting not with each other, but with their phones. It reminds me of the film Wally, in which the remnant of the human race is hurtling through space on a rocket ship. Oh, oh, sorry. In which the remnant of the human race is hurtling through space on a rocket ship on the ship. Everyone has his own digital recliner that hovers above the floor. Each recliner has its own screen that delivers hypnotic doses of information. The result is that people never talk to one another or interact with their environment. Because they never have to walk, their muscles have atrophied, and because they never have to think, they are easily manipulated. The point is clear. Technology can become dehumanizing. It is therefore vital that we emphasize the importance of living in personal relationship within the church and within our homes, I will add. Tragically, in our modern Western culture, authentic communication and real relationships are in decline. Sadly, nuclear families families rarely eat together today. How much less do we invite others to our homes In a world where we are growing more divided and isolated, one of the tangible, compelling, and attractive distinctives of the church will be our authentic relationships and loving community. Christians will be who actually talk to one another face to face. Sharing a meal will be an otherworldly experience to our otherwise fractured, depersonalized, and hyper-individualized world and therefore a tremendous witness to the reality of Christ's kingdom, the sharing of meal can become a tremendous witness of the reality of the church and what it's all about. We have to invite our friends and neighbors to come out into the light of unfiltered relationships, both with God and with others. Without such relationships, human flourishing is impossible. I would venture to say there's probably some households in this place today that the sharing of a meal with your whole family or all those that are under your roof on a daily basis is not a set priority. I understand that to embrace what I am challenging with you with today is we're going to require some work to make some adjustments. One of the most important things I believe you could do in your world right now is to make sure that in your home, whether that's just a husband and wife, whether that's a single parent and children, Whatever the dynamics are, and one more time, I realize some of you this really pretty much doesn't relate to. But I'll just go ahead and say it this way. Committing to come spend two hours a day in the prayer room, if you're a father, is not more important than committing 
to gathering your family together at some point every day face to face. Do you know why I believe one of the reasons so many kids raised in church end up walking away from Because all the spiritual stuff gets prioritized so much that we send a message to our children, you don't really matter. Should we pray? Obviously. (laughs) Should we read our Bibles? Absolutely. Should we be involved in ministry? We're all called to. But at the expense of sacrificing those that God has entrusted to us, Absolutely not. I can't tell you what I fully expected to accomplish by going through all this effort. My kids may be sitting here wondering, why in the world did you do this to us, Dad? But I guess if nothing else, because I'm sorry, and I don't really think most of you feel this way, but I wouldn't be surprised if at least one or two of you have the thought, well, you're the pastor, that's you. No, sorry. I know plenty of homes of pastors and preachers that don't prioritize making sure that on a daily basis time is spent together. Maybe one thing, I know Nathaniel's not here, but maybe one thing today will accomplish, not that I think it needs to have accomplished. But if these five, including Nathaniel, if you didn't really know how much this means to me I hope that somehow this has helped to communicate that the guy on the keyboard is about to be an addition I'm not I'm not losing a daughter, I'm gaining a son. I I think right now I'm in the stage, that's baloney. Because he's taking my daughter from me. But I'm, 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 I'm feeling the other side. And actually I wouldn't dare give any context to it, but... I was deeply moved. Was that yesterday morning, Jalen? Jalen walked into my office. I was in there before the ministerial training training class. And he said something to me that was such an encouragement to me in the sense that somehow I have done something to communicate how much I value this. I'm not any better than you. Not any more special than any other 
husband or father in this place today. I want to challenge you as the pastor of this congregation this morning, to every husband, to every father. I'm not trying to ask you to be me. I'm not asking you to try to be like me. But I want to challenge you with the value of this if it's not already a priority in your life. To all of you young single men yet to get married, I want to challenge you today to make up your mind that you, when God blesses you with the spouse, you're going to start your marriage out on the right foot. That it's not going to be acceptable to you to let days go by in which you and your wife don't sit down face to face and share a meal. And, and I realize it's a little bit implied the meal is dinner, but even in, I will just full disclosure in some of the articles that I read and even parts of the ones I shared to you in some of those articles. It's not necessarily about it has to be dinner. Maybe there's days it's breakfast. Maybe there's days it's a lunch. I'm, I, 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 part of me wants to shrink from saying this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it as the pastor of this congregation. There may be a few exceptions, but I'm going to tell you as the pastor of this congregation, I believe that your household should work to figure out a way somehow to share at least one meal every day, no technology, no distractions, just face-to-face time. And if you're a dad like me, that all you do is sit at the table and just soak up the conversation of what everybody else is saying and doing, so be it. I realize if I was Mr. Talkative today, and that's what I sat at the table and did, some of you could use that as a cop-out. But I'm not. I will tell you in full transparency, there are times that every now and then that it crosses my mind, should I be more talkative at the table maybe I should at the end of the day I just enjoy being at the table so here's what I want to do as we close this morning I want to give an invitation to some men today and I'm going to give the invitation married single fathers Husbands yet to be fathers, whatever the dynamic. But especially in the context of those that you are in a family as the head of that family, or again, you have the desire one day to have a family. I want to invite you, if you're willing to make a commitment today, not saying if you've got to, again, I'm hoping some of you, everything you've heard is already your norm. Are you saying it should be the norm for all of us, Brother Wright? Not quite going that far, but I think it's something we should all strive for. If you're willing to commit, and I know this is going to be hard for some of you because if it means some adjustments and your spouse is sitting next to you, you're putting yourself on the spot. And that's a really great thing. Because it's not your wife's responsibility to prioritize this. Okay, ladies, you can say amen. I'm all right with that. I'm going to say it again. It's not the wife's responsibility to prioritize it. 
I think I need to say that one more time. It's not the wife's priority. She's not the head of the house. It's the head of the house's responsibility to say, as for this house, this is what we are going to strive to do. And there's always times when days come and things get in the way. Whatever, I understand that. But what we are striving for is that one of the most intimate things that we can do as human beings, as family and as friends, that we are going to commit to doing that as often as possible. If you're a man here today and you're willing to make that commitment, would you get up out of your seat come down to this altar? Not only am I asking you to come to pray for that commitment, we're also going to take this time to pray for you today. Look at this. Is this not... In a world, in a world that wants to do nothing but put men down and belittle men and bash men, look at this. Can I say, can I challenge you, it's not too late. I'm really not about mentioning TV shows because, first of all, there's just all kinds of feelings and opinions and some people think things are okay and others don't. It offends others and whatever, but I'm going to take the risk this morning. My, uh, I think my all-time favorite TV, secular, carnal, fleshly TV show. There you have it. And I'm not saying there's... This is not intended to be an endorsement. I'm not saying there probably aren't some things at times that are not the most appropriate, so forgive my humanity. But it's the show Blue Bloods. And to be honest with you, one of the reasons that that show is so whatever to me is because it's all about family dynamics and having spent all of my life in ministry and all of that working with my dad there's a lot of things you watch go on that I can relate to but one of the most one of the coolest things to me about the whole show is they prioritize Sunday dinner as a family they all got their separate lives going separate ways I hope (coughs) I hope That as our family grows, those that get added to us will appreciate the fact that I would appreciate at least every now and then. I won't say how often. (laughs) That all of us, we're actually, my wife threw me under the bus, not really. I did build that table, and um, but we're actually in the process of building a new tabletop because this one's too short. Because really, at the end of the day, while those that are my relatives are the most important to me, sorry, I also thoroughly enjoy having different people come and sit because part of the reason, and hear me, brethren, those of you that are already on the right path with this. More and more, 
As more and more people come, we're dealing with more and more people that their only frame of reference is dysfunction. That it's not going to be unlikely for more and more people to walk into this sanctuary and become a part of us that they don't know what it's like to sit down at a table and have an enjoyable meal and conversation and get along. Either they never did that or when they did that, it ended up in some kind of big argument and fight and nobody could get along with each other. You and I have the opportunity to model that for them. I want you to do this. I'm going to ask you all to stand. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to join with me in praying for them. But I I want you, brethren, if you would, connect with somebody nearby you. Grab a shoulder. I know a lot of us guys don't like holding hands with other guys, so I'm with you on that fully. But hand on a shoulder, arm around, whatever. And I want us to stand here today. I'm pretty sure he would be down there if he wasn't on the keyboard. So I'll, I'll join with him. We need to bond anyway. I need to work. He challenged me. After he already asked for my daughter's hand in marriage, he had the nerve to challenge me to a duel on Memorial Day for my daughter. And I'm very sad to say he won. Let's join together. I'm going to ask you, brethren, not only as you're making a commitment for your household, your family, but would you also pray that God would strengthen each other? And for all of you that remain in the audience, male or female, would you stretch your hands toward this awesome group of men and pray God's blessings, God's strength upon them today? Father, something that you clearly established in your word from beginning to end, the value of fellowship, intimate fellowship, and yes, purposeful enough to demonstrate fellowship that included the sharing of food and a meal because of the things that can happen. I pray, God, today that you would help every home, every household that is represented here today, that it would be strengthened to become more and more what you would have it to be. God, while we may have what is the norms based on what we were raised with or the norms of the families we have come from, that we would set that aside, that we would allow your word and the principles of your word to be the model that we live by, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit, I pray, God, that you would strengthen every one of these men today. I pray, God, first for every one of them that's a father already, that you would touch them and strengthen them today, that you would help them to grow and develop more and more into a father that resembles you, that we would be fathers that would be a good example to our children, to our families of what our heavenly father is. Help us today, Lord. Strengthen us today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, for every one of these young men today, every one of these single men today that have a desire one day to have a family. I pray, God, that you would begin even now, even before they have that family, to help them have the resolve, to help them have the the vision of what they desire for their home to become. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you would help us today 
to not let worldly mentalities, worldly concepts, worldly examples be what defines our expectations for what happens in our homes and our families. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray your blessings today upon every home that is represented here. I pray your blessings today upon every household that is represented here today. Father, let your peace abide in these homes. Let your blessings rest upon these homes, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we don't want our homes to look like the homes of this world. We don't want our families just to function the same way the world functions. We, we want our homes to be governed by your principles, the principles of your word, the things that you intended, God. It may not be the norm. It may not be what our frame of reference is. It may not be what we grew up with. But let the principles of your word be what shapes us individually and what shapes our families, our homes, this church, God. In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. One more time, I want to say to all of the fathers, we wish you a happy Father's Day today. We honor you. We honor you and your desire to strive to be a godly father. I want to do one more thing we're going to dismiss. For those of you that, whether long time ago or more recently, have lost your father, I want to just take a moment and pray. God would touch you today, comfort you. I realize for some of you, he may be gone and you didn't have a great relationship. And so in some ways it's kind of, but that doesn't change the fact as Angie said earlier, doesn't mean we don't wish and hope and want. And I, I, I want to, it's my goal to always be mindful as I've said many times and I'm just going to keep saying it. It's easy for those of us to enjoy certain holidays or certain days to get caught up in the enjoyment and forget that it's not the most enjoyable day for everybody. So could we, before we go, just I just feel for us to do this. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. If you're one of the ones this applies to, then you can just let the Lord touch you as we pray. God, I pray right now as many of us are caught up in this wonderful day of celebration of Father's I know, God, there are those that this is not the easiest of days. 
because their father's no longer here. Lord, those that have just recently lost fathers, that it's still fresh for them today, I pray that you would touch them and strengthen them. I pray, God, that more than ever before, they would feel the assurance that you are their heavenly Father, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray your peace and your comfort upon each person today, God. In the name of Jesus, both male and female in this place today, God, I pray you would touch them, strengthen them today, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, you are our peace and you are our comfort. We trust you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. God bless you. Again, if you're a guest, not only are we glad to have you, but come back and see us on what may be a little bit more of a normal day. In Jesus' name. Amen.